I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about Grave of the Fireflies. Before we get into this week's film, next week we're beginning watching Steven Spielberg's AI Artificial Intelligence. I realized we haven't done many science fiction films in our With Nothing to Say catalog. I can't think of the last science fiction film I actually did for With Nothing to Say. Andrew, do you remember? Yeah, who knows? (laughs) It's been a minute for sure. And always good to get some Spielberg in our lives. So that'll be next week. But this week we watch The Grave of Fireflies. The fireflies. <laughs> what a sad movie. It's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of its reputation, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of its ultimate reputation is that it's extremely sad. And <laughs> I never seen it, but I've been aware of it of a long t- for a long time and its reputation. And I knew it took place during World War II. Like there was a lot I knew about it, but sure. Uh yeah, it's still uh, effectively uh depressing so setting place and time it takes place at the very end of world war ii so during the bombings and after <clears throat> the bombings of americans on japan and we start with a flash forward of sorts we kind of start in the future and then work our way back yeah with this poor boy who is uh super poor you know homeless sad life and he dies and that's like the very first scene of the film yeah it right away (laughs) is extremely like like dead children and stuff it's awful this this poor boy he's yeah right away like i think the first line is like he says like the date and then he says that was the night that i died and it's like him seeing himself uh die essentially um in what i think is kobe which is where the movie takes place and when the security guards find him he's amongst all of these other older children mm-hmm. young men who have all just passed away and the security guards just like well there's another one just another yeah, dead kid like a, like a dead dog or something yeah yeah it's brutal and they and they search his person to see if he has any effects or belongings and the only thing they find of interest is that little tin can of the the sakuma drops can the sakuma drops which look delicious by the way they're a real thing i i i I looked i looked it up and it's like a real like ancient like 100 year old japanese candy oh that's awesome (laughs) yeah they do look good though yeah so the prison or not prison guards security guards or they're like they're, whatever they're like have you janitors yeah <laughs> i don't even know if they're guards they just look like janitors yeah. he like yeah, finds probably. a tin can and he's just like huh okay and he like for some reason throws it out and he just throws like, it out yeah i don't know he just he's just like whatever i'll th- throw it out maybe he was lazy to like find a trash can or something <laughs> and he like he it, there's no reason and of course you get that extremely sad um interaction where he becomes a ghost and he sees what we will later know is his sister, but it's clear that they're siblings of some sort, like they're related. And yeah, they have like a moment where he like he picks up the box that's all scratched up, and it like becomes new again, and he gives mm-hmm. it um to his sister, and they go and hang out, and it's like right away, like that's just like basically like right before the title card, it's already like I don't know, it's very emotionally effective when there's really no dialogue, you know? Yeah, it's a very because you, you kind of now. You now foresee the end of the movie, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Extremely powerful moment. And I wasn't sure which direction this film was going to go in. I mean, as you said, I knew this film was going to be quite sad, but I didn't know if it was going to be some sort of ghostly film where, you know, he haunts some sort of living person or what have you. Of course, that that's not what, what happens. We are thrown back in time a couple of years like two or three or maybe not even a year i mean not even years maybe even just like a few months yeah a few months for sure and they are living their best life at that moment for a moment 
not very well long. yeah they, yeah they're chilling in kobe <laughs> it's it's brother and sister it's a uh, seita and a uh, setsuko seita and and they um did you did you um watch the dub or the sub of this the only version i could find was a dub oh my god i know it was very hard to find this film i found i found a sub <laughs> well la di da yeah. la di da yeah i found the sub i don't think i could stomach a terrible like dub of this movie you know what i mean i wouldn't I feel say like... it was a terrible dub i mean it was it was still ghibli so they get like just shitty celebrity like they just get, they like, get recognizable yeah. names in their terrible they get recognizable lighting. names yeah yeah i i've i it, on hbo max they have all the studio ghibli movies but they don't give you the option for the sub no they're all dubbed is, right which yeah. is really really terrible it's wild um, because there, there are some that are suitable but there, there mm-hmm. are some that are just like this is really, really, really bad. <laughs> like I don't know what to say. Like it's just the acting is bad. Um, Grave of the Fireflies for some reason, even though it's easily like one of the most famous Studio Ghibli movies, it's just not on. It's not on HBO Max where all oh. the other Ghibli movies are. I'm not really sure why the usage of this movie is weird. Um, but I, I found the sub because I needed, to, I really, I knew for this movie, <laughs> I needed to hear these people speak Japanese mm-hmm. to get, you know, to really kind of submerge myself in kind of the story and the history and stuff. And I think that was, so yeah, I'm sorry, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're a lucky bastard, I guess. Yeah. Well, I yeah. just, I know how to use the internet. <laughs> well, I didn't. I wanted to watch it on my TV, and I didn't want to have to like hook up my computer to the TV. No, so it enough. was partly out of laziness. Whatever but... you got, you got, you got it. You got the you got the gist of the movie. I'm sure. <laughs> got the gist. Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear. It's not like a terribly like. I don't know. Like, you can you can probably like watch this movie with the sound off and probably get a good idea of what's going on. You know. Mm-hmm. It's not terribly complicated. <laughs> Yeah, I would say it is a visually succinct film. And I do wonder the differences between the dub and the sub because it seems to be, and it's hard to say because I didn't get the sub version, I only got the dub version. It seems to be a very beautifully written film. Did you get that same impression? It's based on a short story. Um, okay. And I would say, yeah, it was well written. I mean, I like just... You, you, maybe not in dialogue but yeah there's a lot of like really great impactful moments in the in the movie for sure um that like i said like you could just have the sound i think you could i think you could i think everything is still impactful like the moments are still impactful even if you don't hear all of the details of the dialogue um but i'm sure it helps (laughs) obviously yeah and plus that wonderful score that very yeah, studio ghibli esque score just yes. kind of floating i love the piece of music that plays at the very beginning when they reunite as ghosts that that yeah. music at the beginning is really great really great mm-hmm. track but they like they go on a train they're like ghosts and they're on a train and like you mm-hmm. said it goes back in time and it's like just you know basically telling the story about how they died and this opening part of the movie where they're still like at home with their mom and stuff that whole part at the beginning is so stressful. <laughs> I was so stressed about it. It's wild because these people are just supposed to, like, whenever there's a bombing raid, they just have to go and yeah. fucking find a. What I understand, why was the boy, what was the boy digging? Because, like, the mom left to go to the shelter and he's mm-hmm. like, we'll be there in a minute. But what, what was he doing? Why would, why did he not? Remember when he goes back to the rubble and he finds a bunch of stuff that were under their ha- that were at their house? He was burying like the it. plums. He, Is he that burying what... it? Yeah, that's him. That's him burying a bunch of like supplies, and then he goes back after what's destroyed wow. to go fetch him. What a smart kid! I, I would have never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming. Just I don't know. Maybe that was a common thing to do in World War II Japan. I don't know. Probably. Um, I'm guessing because. Like what he does later in the movie, I'm guessing there was a lot of raids in the sense, not raids, a lot of people being robbed during probably these 
raids because just like he does later in the movie because no right, one's there robs, and everyone's yeah, yeah <laughs> just like he does later yeah so yeah. i'm guessing that's probably why they bury their stuff plus i guess if their house gets well yeah down, it wouldn't get destroyed it wouldn't yeah, get destroyed it, it's underground it wouldn't get destroyed yeah it'd be protected yeah you would just have to like you know dig through a bunch of rubble which would suck but i guess that's why you put it in the backyard like he did for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I just find okay. it really stressful them like running around, like no trying to like collect their shit so they can like get to the shelter because like the, a bombing is happening. Like that part was I found very stressful. Um, and that animation <laughs> too when the bombs start coming down and they all hit mm-hmm. the ground and they all bounce around and stuff. That was very stressful and very well done. So fucking wild. I mean, there's people just running in twenty different directions, yelling and screaming. Yeah. You know, he's carrying his little sister on his back. They're trying to get to their mom, who already left. Trying to get to the shelter where their mom is at. But, of course, chaos. It's complete chaos. Yeah, it's too chaotic. They can't get there. There's no, like, there's no structure to it. I mean, how could there be? Like, you see a raid, like... (laughs) Yeah, and well, it's, it also to... seems like it seems like it, it, as the movie later on in the movie, it seems like they do this a lot where they do mm-hmm. raid alarms. You know what I mean? Like they do, yeah. Like oh, there's gonna be a bombing, but I think only like a plane is in the vicinity or something like that, right? It's just a precaution. It seems yeah. like, but this time it was actually real, and it yeah, just completely um, it destroys the village. I mean, which are incendiary bombs, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Um, just torching uh, the village. Um, and they're not able to get to the shelter, so I think they they go to the school or something like that. They have to go somewhere else. They go somewhere else. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where they go. Well, they... oh, they they kind of like they kind of hang out on that little gutter area on the outskirts of town, and they kind of yes. have like a conversation, right? And I think even like he has like the candy there with him to give to his sister Seda, and mm-hmm. um. And they're just kind of like they're walking around kind of like worried about their mom and stuff. And, you know, the whole like sky is like, you know, just lit up and it's orange and filled with smoke. And it just it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spent a little bit of time reading about the Pacific invasion and specifically the type of bombs that they used before they used the nuclear bombs. And the way these bombs were built, they weren't really built to explode necessarily which you kind of see in the right film. they like, don't they weren't yeah no they're not made to like create explosions they're made to start fires and yeah. at the time japan was just a really flammable country because a lot of the building material that they used was very flammable yeah. yeah so there's a lot of like incredibly horrible stories of these sort of bombings which were much more intense than say the ones in germany or britain because partly because it's just yeah the structure is much more flammable and the technology had increased over the couple years to the point where like these are (laughs) extremely dangerous bombs and they weren't very precise in their dropping and you can see that like yeah they they weren't bounce around yeah they bounce around they weren't like you know missile seeking or anything like that and most importantly they weren't really being dropped on military bases they were just as in this case they're, they're dropping just, villages yeah yeah they're just <laughs> dropping them they're on destroying villages. like villages just like very innocent villages mm-hmm. um yeah it's uh it's pretty terrible yeah that just the whole destruction of the city and everyone and everyone getting hurt and stuff is very uh concerning uh it's mm-hmm. pretty terrible uh to see and i mean yeah you get those great like um a still you know uh, drawings of like he's looking at his village and it's just destroyed like there's nothing left standing yeah some beautifully dark images with just the black clouds of smoke and the fire rising up and it reminds me i mean they show corpses too they show corpses too it's not a film you want to show children it's a pretty I mean, I don't Dark know. Maybe, film. maybe, maybe, maybe it would be the best movie. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like, it's like, it's a dark movie, but it's like, what? Are you just gonna act like it never happened? You know, this is probably like, this isn't like, yeah. a, like a Princess Mononoke kind of fantasy movie. It's a very much mm-hmm. a real foreboding um, movie. You know what I mean? That gets the point across. It gets the point across, at least when it comes to like the tr- atrocities at that time. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And 
these visuals are very reminiscent of watercolor paintings, especially kind of like Renoir and uh, those sorts, especially like the way water moves and the way clouds move in the smoke, just very dark and foreboding. Yeah. <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, just like I said, this whole part of the beginning is great. And yeah, this, so yeah, it's like, you know, um, like it's clear too in this section that they're very close, brother and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're close, they love each other, they're taking care of each other. It's clear from the beginning there the extent of their relationship. Um, and then they go to the elementary school, which of course is another very difficult scene. This whole beginning is just like a bunch of very difficult scenes to, to, go to, to go through where they go there and they're like, yo, like your mom, she's injured. It's like, she's injured. Uh, okay. Injured is a very, um, I don't know if they, they, in this, in the, in the subtitles, it says injured. I don't know if they say that in the dub. Um, but that woman, that random woman comes yeah. up to him and it says, and he like goes there and she is just completely mummified essentially. It's awful. I mean, she's wrapped from head to toe in bandages and all you can see are her eyes, which another great like animation. Yeah. Like you can see the emotions in these people's eyes, which I don't know how you do that with animation, but it's powerful. And yeah, it's yeah. He can't talk to her. He's she's completely like she must have, you know, she's immolated, you know, probably mm-hmm. caught on fire. Just terrible, just disgusting. And, you know, it's like it, it feels pretty real. You know, it doesn't feel too um, fantastical. Um yeah, it's just terrible. And I think they just dump her, right? Like, I think she dies because it's like they they don't have anything like there in terms of medical supplies to help his mom. Yeah, he has a conversation with, I I guess you can call him the doctor or whatever, but he's basically like, she needs to go to a hospital. Like, we can't take care of her. The things that she needs and requires are far away and we need to get her there as soon as possible. And so he's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take her there. But lo and behold, when they attempt to move her, there's like maggots and flies all yeah. over her. I think she's and dead, yeah. She's dead, which we learn in a couple of scenes after that, which is a nice way of telling that because before that scene, they have to go to their aunt's house because their father is in the navy. And yeah, their mother so. is at this point, they believe sick. And when they're riding on the train, it opens on an image of another young man holding a jar, which we, of course, realize is ashes. And then we pull back to uh, the brother and sister with the little sister napping on, on his lap. And the very next scene, we see him holding a similar jar, which is how we learned yeah, that. Yeah. The mother didn't indeed pass away. I mean, I guess you could kind of infer it from maggots and flies right, right. I think flying all dead, over, yeah. but they don't say it specifically. But he also doesn't tell right. his aunt or his sister at first. He kind of tries to hide it from them. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. And uh, yeah, so pretty much, you know, their mom is dead. They're basically alone, right? Like, And like you said, they got to go to their aunt. Um, who lives, I think in the same, I think in the same area, but farther away, more in the countryside, I guess you could say, unless sure, like on the water where they live. And the, yeah, they go to their aunt and they do have that like moment at the beginning when they arrive where they see all the fireflies, obviously, as the title suggests, fireflies like come out, come out, come, you know, up a lot. Yeah. Um, in the film. So they have that moment where like there's tons of them and they're running around and they're flying around and, you know, they're just kind of like hanging out, which is a lot. Which they do that a lot. The two of them do that a lot. They hang out a lot. There's a lot of hanging out in this movie for sure. Yeah. But they finally get to their aunt's house and we're introduced to the aunt. And at first you're like, oh, this aunt person, she's, she's that's nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, of course, we learn pretty quickly that this aunt is not the nicest human being in the world. She has some. Not really. 
some issues. I would say some. She gets progressively more upset with the two kids um, for reasons that aren't really in their control. You know, like <laughs> they, they're they don't work, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Like they're both they both seem very young, so it's kind of hard to I don't know ask like a little baby to go work. <laughs> like I don't understand. Like, like, it's like, I don't, I don't think you can be there. Like, she's basically getting mad at them because they're like freeloaders, but it's like, you know, they're, they're kids. Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. And, you know, they can't go to school, right? Because as he says in the movie, the school's been destroyed. Um, But yeah, she gets progressively like more and more angry and annoyed with them. Frustratingly so. Mm -hmm. It's wild. And there's this wild scene early on where... You know, the two of them, they're just kind of like sitting around, chillaxing, living their life. And then it comes in and she asks, why aren't you in school? And he goes, oh, we can't go to school because the school burned down. So I can't work in the iron mines, which means that these kids were going to school and then being sent to iron mines to like help with the war effort, which is wild. That yeah. <laughs> like 10 year old kids. I mean, I get that at the time, everyone was sort of on the war effort, which is definitely much more the case in Japan than it was in the United States. I mean, of course, in the United States, women were becoming riveters and you know all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but even more so in Japan, like you watch the work of Kurosawa or these Japanese filmmakers during World War II, like literally everyone was doing their part because it's such a so much smaller of a country than you know the United States or a lot of the countries they're up against. So yeah. every single person kind of had to be part of the process. But not these two kids, these lazy sons of bitches. Yeah, they're good for nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't, yeah, I understand kind of the do your part thing or whatever. But yeah, it's just kind of, it's frustrating. Like, to, she just gets progressively more and more angry at them. Um, and, you know, they have to divvy up rations. And, you know, I think when it comes to like food, um, just like with animals, I feel like food um, is something that I think when it has to be like rationed and stuff like that. I feel like food is something that really makes people contentious and very angry, you know, when it comes to, I mean, this, you know, I have this food, they have that food, you know, why do they have more food than me? You know, like shit like that, where it's just kind of like this, you know, angry kind of contentious mood when it comes to food. And it's definitely demonstrated here and some other media I've seen, you know, where, you know, food is just like this thing that, is very very you know important to the japanese people right and it's yeah. uh it's something that they can't get a lot of and you know with kids kids eat, have to eat a lot so <laughs> it, it, and they do right so yeah. it, it's kind of difficult to do that when you have to ration and rations are all the more challenging which you see in the film because it's not really an issue of money or being able to trade things as you can see they're trading all this stuff and money and it's not that they don't have the money to buy more rations or can't afford it it's that you know every person can only have this many rations and it doesn't really matter how much money you give or how much money you don't give like this is just this is all there is because the rest has to go to feeding the troops or it has been destroyed by farmland or whatever so it's another frustrating thing where you're given a certain amount of ration and you just have to have it. Like there's not really any choice around it. There's no control. And I think that has a lot to do with yep. the food thing and, and rice specifically, of course, right, is rice, yeah. that that sense of control, that sense of being able to do something or anything at all, especially during mm-hmm. these war times. So the ant refusing to give the kids anything with a, a good amount of rice is very frustrating. Right. And, but I kind of understand, obviously I understand because you got to make sure everybody doesn't die. You know, you got to sure. keep it, you got to keep it at a good amount. So, but yeah, like you said, it's just kind of like the whole thing, obviously I'd like to imagine that most Americans would not be able to survive a world uh, like a, like would be able to survive this point, this period of time in which like food has to be rationed, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of like be very careful with it. Uh, most Americans I think would give up. Uh (laughs) i mean it certainly says a lot for the dedication to their country and their strong belief 
and what they're fighting for, whatever it is that they're fighting for, you know, a, a true sense of community, which is inspiring to the nth degree, even if they're going through situations which are just absolutely awful, as these two kids are with their aunt. And does the aunt, are those both her kids or is it? Those are her kids. Okay, so the it's her daughter kids. and her son. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are her kids, yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. I just wasn't sure, 100% sure on the relationship between the daughter and the son. I didn't know if that was her son or if that was someone she was like dating I, or close to or married. I feel like I those are sure. probably both her kids, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But obviously the aunt is, she kind of has that sort of classic stepmother kind of feel to her. Mm-hmm. In the sense that these aren't really evil stepmother kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why do I have to take care of them? Fuck this. You mm-hmm. know, like yeah. Where's where's their father? Where's their mother? These sort of things, which is Yeah, just getting very, yeah. And that's pretty much like not the greatest aunt in the world. That that's pretty much like 30 minutes of the movie, right? Is like them yeah. living with their aunt and dealing with it. And also, you know, at one point she gets so angry that she's just like, you can just eat yourself, you know and like eat by yourself or we're not going to eat together anymore and they're like okay and they they were able to get some cooking equipment and then they and do it their own food and they do it and they do do it, and she gets like angry about it like she there's no like, <laughs> yeah she gets constantly mad you know they they kind of check out the whole area they like the area you know they go to the beach they have, they have like a nice little moment at the beach it's just nice it's nice i like, like that you have that bit where they um think about like taking that photo that family photo with all four of them Mm-hmm. That's a nice moment as well. Yeah, you know, they're just, uh, but like I said, they just get progressively and progressively, the ant progressively gets more and more angry mm-hmm. at them. Like I said, it's frustrating, but you know. It is extremely frustrating, but certainly within the the sense of believability. I mean, there's nothing fantastically evil about this woman. I mean, certainly not. Not really, no. Top-notch love by any means. Yeah. Not the best aunt in the world, but nothing outside the range of normality, especially during these trying times. But at the end of the day, the inevitable happens, which is these two kids are like, we can't we can't do this anymore. Like, we just can't handle being constantly berated. Yeah. And so, and I think the reason that they decide to do this is because there's an air raid correct so they yeah they get the idea for it right like like when whenever there's an air raid they decide to go to these abandoned mines Mm -hmm. um i think probably just outside of town or something like that and they so they just kind of chill there um during the air raid and they they intercut like a clip of like the ant saying like oh you're going to the mines again why don't you just live there or something like that (laughs) and they're like okay okay we will (laughs) you know like and, and and they do you know comedically so right they get the cart they like sell yeah. and stuff, sell a bunch of stuff and they get a bunch of supplies and they get on a, on a, uh, you know, they get on a wagon and uh, they're just like, yep, we're leaving. And she's like, really? And, yep. We're just going to go out and see what we can find. Like, they don't tell her that they're going to the mines and she's no. like, uh, okay, bye. <laughs> I think they imply that they're going to see other family. Like they're going to another town to sure, see other yeah. people. Yeah. But the answer's like, whatever, see ya. Just doesn't Bye. really look into that at all. She's, she's just kind of confused, but she's like, okay. See ya. <laughs> yeah. And 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 they go to the mines, um, which is kind of like a by like a pond. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is like a part of the movie where they're just like, um, they essentially create for a minute like their own little paradise, essentially. Yeah. Which is very nice. Um, yeah. It's a very lovely little montage where just like you see kids doing every day they're playing house they're cleaning they're cooking they're doing that of course the stakes are much higher than typical but you can see at first that they're just kind of you know fumbling their way through things in a fun sort of way they're trading things to get rice and they're fishing and they're doing all these sorts of things and they're just having a grand old time they're building their little apartment right they're deciding oh the kitchen's gonna be here this is going to be there. Yeah, they're they're, yeah, they love it. They love they it. They don't have any adults. They don't have any annoying adults around them. <laughs> yeah, they can do whatever they want. And 
I believe that montage ends with the firefly scene, doesn't it? What firefly scene are you talking about? There's many. The one <laughs> that's true. The one where uh, they capture all those fireflies and put them into bed netting. Right. Yeah. So they have like an amazing time. And this is kind of where it turns a little bit, right? Where they collect mm -hmm. a bunch of fireflies in a bucket and they go in their mosquito net in the mine and they open it up and all the fireflies are, are flying around them and they, they love it. I think you have that moment where he he sees the fireflies and he imagines seeing like a like a navy parade or something like that going on and yeah. you know he's feeling you know he's feeling uplifted right mm -hmm. he feels very uplifted and kind of um um but he is hearkening back to past times you know obviously things were better back then yeah very powerful and beautiful scene watching these fireflies floating around lighting the little space that they have as the two of them fall asleep. The fireflies have a almost ghostly idealization to them as if these are kind of the souls of life's past, almost this reincarnation sure. sort of thing. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of hard to say, honestly, with the fireflies sure. and what they represent. They can, they can, there's the a lot. The reading is very, you know, very broad, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I will say about the movie is that a lot of movies do this and what a lot of like Japanese media likes to do is it kind of has like a fetishism for um, like the Japanese countryside. And this mm. is a good example of a movie, especially up to this point where the Japanese countryside is so lush, so wonderful. It's so great. It's so much fun, you know? So there's a lot of that going on here, which is nice if you like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I imagine that probably has something to do with just the really rapid industrialization of japan yeah sure yeah. from like early world war ii and onwards because yeah it's sort of this weird thing especially if you watch a lot of kurosawa films he'll have films that take place in the early 1900s but the early 1900s of japan look very similar to the 1600s in japan like there's very sure. because they basically closed themselves off from the world so there's very little industrialization but then once World War II begins, it's just like an extremely rapid and to this day still, right, just an extreme technological advance and kind of the rise of these giant cities, which is most of when people think of Japan, they think of these very technologically advanced cities, which are full and full of people. But I think just, just in the same way as the United States kind of has a specialization of the West in the late I 1800s i think it's something similar it's not as fun though <laughs> the I japanese countryside is more chill it's more about like being chill and having For nice sure. times westerns <laughs> are maybe some people think that the west was really cool and stuff but i would i mean to me that just seems like a very terrible time i don't know <laughs> and they i don't know most movies are most westerns are kind of like that too but sure. Yeah, I understand. There's, there is like, a, you're right that there is like a fetishism with it, though, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I like the location. It's good. Yeah, but but I like the location. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. But Continue. they capture all fireflies. Yeah, it's beautiful. So they capture all these fireflies. Beautiful little moment. He imagines Japan winning the war. His father coming being home. Awesome. Everything being as it should be, and they fall asleep to this. And when you awake the next morning, mm -hmm. the little sister is digging a hole. And mm -hmm. of course, the brother asks, why are you digging a hole? And you just see like eight. Yeah, because they all die like while they're in the net. Yeah. And it's just a giant firefly graveyard, a really dark image and yeah. foreboding. <laughs> it's very foreboding. <laughs> because, yeah, it, 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 it is foreboding because the rest of the movie is pretty miserable just it goes downhill really fast it gets really intense really quickly yeah yeah and i think i think also in that moment when she's burying all the fireflies is when also she says like i know mom is dead like i know she died because the aunt told her that she's that yeah she died and so it's her weird confrontation with death and trying to understand what death is because it's clear that the I mean, she's a little girl. She's only supposed to be like, well, like five or six years old, like a little kid, not very old. And mm -hmm. her grasp of what death is is still very vague. 
as it is with anyone of that age. So the bearing of the fireflies, it feels almost like a realization of what death is and what's going on in the world. And what's going to happen to her. And to them, what's going to happen to her? Because after this moment, they run out of food. I mean, they run out of food. They basically run out of food. Yeah. Yeah, you have that moment too where like the um the kids stop by and they kind of like lambast it like somebody's living here, da, 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 you know, kind of like being kind of annoying about it. But yeah, they they run out of food and pretty much the rest of the movie is them trying to find food, like desperately trying to find some kind of food somewhere. Um they get very desperate. Um and it's very sad. Yeah, it's intense. First, of course, they go to the farmer and they're like, "I'll trade you stuff for more food. Like I can give you stuff. I can give you money whatever you need and the farmer's like i don't have any food to give like these are all the rations i have i can't like i i just don't have anything to give and it's yeah a very intense moment and so another air raid happens and they jump into a farm and they discover all this wonderful food that nobody's eating just yeah sitting on the vines yeah they start stealing essentially so they start stealing food, but the thing is, like, they can't steal enough food for them to survive on. They're hungry all of the time. The little girl starts getting rashes on her back. Really graphic. Yeah. She gets like, yeah, she gets, I think her rashes start early on and they just get worse and worse and worse. And yeah, mm-hmm. the rashes on her towards the end are really, really, they're really difficult. And they're quickly going through the last few candies that they have they even do that thing right where he puts water in the the jar right, and, yeah, he, yeah. and he shakes Cheese it up and to have it like all a, again. A tea. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they 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 fish and you know they do all this stuff they eat gross food um you know it eventually culminates into the other moment in which um he starts to steal and he gets like horribly beaten up of course yeah. um yeah yeah, he That's starts a tough breaking scene as well. Oh my god. He starts breaking into houses during raids to steal stuff so he can buy food and supplies and one of the things he steals is he steals like a stock of sugar because his sister is sick and he's just trying to figure out how to get her better cuz he doesn't know what to do. He's just a kid. And as he steals it, a farmer catches him. Just the worst man to exist yeah he gets very very angry he's completely doesn't understand him and just like beats the shit out of him really bad the sheet out of a kid yeah <laughs> he's like a malnourished kid yeah and he, he threatens him and beats him and drags him to basically the military police yeah and the officer's like hey farmer you're a terrible human being you need to leave yeah he was and the cool. farmer's all angry yeah. He was cool. Okay. He let him go, but essentially he didn't get in trouble. He's like one of the only kind adult figures in this film. Yeah. And he's like, hey, don't worry about it. Just, you know, it's it's okay. And then he just he lets him go. He's just like, go, go on and back to your life, I guess. <sighs> Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, nothing improves after that. Everything still no. continues to get worse. Like Seda, <laughs> it continues Seda to get is worse. still Seda is still desperate for food. Like we said earlier, he's so desperate that endure when towns are firebombed, he runs in because when everybody's out of the city, he can go and steal food um, for him and his uh, uh, sister. And eventually, they get so desperate that he takes her to a doctor. Right, and the doctor—that's yeah. another you know human being that was com- another adult that was completely unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> where you know they go in they're like her rashes are horror are horrifying and really bad and he's just like yeah she just needs to eat more and Seda's like where the hell am i supposed to get food i don't have any food what a just intense very an awful moment yeah it's yeah, so it's frustrating because you know what the problem is like the doctor is immediately like yeah she just needs to eat more food and he's like well duh like i know she needs to eat more food yeah but <laughs> Do you like, have we need you to help. Else? Like, is there any way you can like, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you could provide to help her? But it's just, it's just nothing. And oh, she also mentions that she keeps having like diarrhea as well, and that's also mm-hmm. like, oh, she's okay, super dehydrated. Like, this is not yeah. good. Yeah, no. she's having all these symptoms. She's got all these rashes. Oh, it's it's awful. I mean, you're watching this Gross. little girl 
slowly starve yeah. to death. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And you and know what? That's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens. He's off. I think he's off trying to get more food. And when he, he, comes he gets back, money, remember? He gets money. He gets money at the bank. And that's when he kind of, he kind that's of has right, that. He takes the rest of the money out. Yeah. Yeah. He takes them. And then he, he finds out at the bank that Japan surrendered. Yeah. And he realizes like, wait, his dad is dead. You know, that's basically, and as far as we can tell, he probably is like, we don't actually get like, I don't mm-hmm. know, like a complete confirmation that he died. But I mean, he's dead, right? Like, I don't know. It would be, it's just, it's just, that's how it feels, you know? And to him, Seta at the time, at the moment, he firmly believes that like, yeah, my dad is dead. There's no way he's still around. Um, And that's when he, yeah, he gets the rest of the money and he buys food and he goes to see his sister again at the mines. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of many people during the end of World War II, where you don't know if your father or spouse or brother or what or son or whatever is passed away, they've just kind of disappeared because just so many people fought in the war and a lot of them just disappear in action and there's no good way to know if they passed or not. And for many families, they would go many, many years before they're given any true confirmation of this person passed away. And there's certainly been cases where they believe someone passed away and years later yeah. they come back as a from a prisoner of war or what have you having not passed away but i I think we get that sense certainly in this which is throughout the film he keeps writing yeah to his father and you keep getting no responses you're kind of starting to gather what's going on but at this point it's kind of set in stone that the war's ended right there's no more air raids so it should be a moment of celebration and yet at that moment he learns that his father is most likely dead. And again, just more people, more adults being unhelpful when he tries yeah, to find definitely. out if his father is alive or not. But there, there is sort of this moment of relief because there's not going to be any more air raids. He has money for food. Yeah. You know, who knows what the future is going to look like, but at least yeah. for the moment, so like, it's going to yeah, be okay. Yeah, he goes to his sister and he, he seems like very um, like, come on, look, all this, you know, I got a bunch of food, like you're ready to go. And yeah, you get the the very sad moment like you know it's coming as a viewer you know it's coming where she can barely talk she can't get up she can barely eat food and yeah she is slipping away mm-hmm. yes this cute girl she's she's very cute very cute yeah. very fun <laughs> um so it's sad when uh she's just kind of slowly slipping away yeah you watch her suck on rocks no marbles that look like the candies that she's been eating. Yeah. And she creates piles of dirt that look, they're supposed to look like rice balls. Yeah. And she's clearly hallucinating and has kind of lost all sense of reality. Yeah. And in many ways, he feels responsible for this moment. And he's trying to do everything he can, but it's kind of too late. Yeah, it's really too late. Yeah, it's really like, yeah, he 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 was a little too late. And, it, you know, he gives her some watermelon and all this stuff. And then he leaves for a minute and then she falls asleep and then she dies. And, yeah. you know, and after she dies, you get that, you know, you get that nice, very, very sad part where she's kind of like appearing and disappearing in different places around the mind where she, you know, mm-hmm. did this or did that or whatever. It's very, very trouble troubling (laughs) you know it's just uh it's it's a it's a huge hit i don't know it's like really really it's really i mean i you know it's sad i don't know what else to uh what to say about it yeah and he's also constructing um her 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 grave as well right he has to go and get like a basket because he's gonna cremate her and all that is just not uh it's uh it's really it's really bad (laughs) Yeah, just a heartrending moment, and he goes to another adult and buys coal, and he's like, and the the coal guy's like, "Yep, what you're gonna want to do is you're just gonna do this, just gonna light these coal, and and this is how you cremate a person." Because I guess people just just went and did their own cremations, and yeah, he cremates his little sister. And I'm assuming what happens then is that you know he doesn't go back to the mine. I'm assuming he just gives up. Right. Like 
he i think probably the death of his sister and the death mm-hmm. of his parents essentially has now rendered him um just he just gave up like you know his body gave up he I, i'm get, i'm assuming he just didn't even want to like scrounge for food anymore um yeah yeah i think he just probably just faded away you know and uh uh it's just uh yeah which is what we see at the beginning of the movie of course where he fades away and that's part of the movie as well and uh yeah it's um oh you know what i forgot about that too remember in the in the tin that he has with him mm-hmm. um it has um uh his sister's ashes in him i forgot about yes. that yes yeah he puts his sister's ashes in the the tin can to represent of course, a better time, a sweeter time, right? When even when yeah. everything's going wrong, you always have the candies to make things better. But yeah, but then he dies, just yeah, like he her. Just dies, and then that's that's it. Right. Well, you get that really great moment in the end, right, where they are sitting on a bench, and there's the two of them as their ghosts, probably, and she falls asleep on his lap, and then you have that great final shot where it pans up. And they're sitting on the bench and they're looking at the um, modern Japan, right? Like with the skyscrapers, you know, uh, which is a great ending. Uh, (laughs) I think it says so much in that ending where it's kind of, you know, right? It's kind of saying like, you know, the creation and development of modern Japan, like it didn't just happen on its own, right? It happened after right out it happened right after kids died like just straight up like little kids died um with really no help from anyone um uh, just through things that you know could have been prevented like you know disease and malnutrition and that's why i think it's like showing modern japan you know it's it, it's kind of you could look at it in a negative or positive like you could look at it positively like look at what we did we we're able to, you know, overcome this horrible time in our history. And now we have awesome cities and we're doing really well. Or you could look at it like, you know, J- Japanese, you know, skyscraper cities, you know, they're amazing, but, but like never forget, like underneath them all are essentially, you know, the bones of, you know, children that died during the war. Um, and, you know, I think also the movie too, it does a good job at kind of like telling the story of, how the war sort of can, can basically erase an entire family, right? Both mm-hmm. parents and the kids. You know, it's not just Schult with, in the case of the Japanese at this time, it wasn't just Schult, um, you know. Um, soldiers. Soldiers, yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's whole families were decimated. Yeah, it's the <clears throat> mythology of an entire history being decimated being destroyed being erased and this last moment is bittersweet because it's simultaneously suggesting that because of that pain and suffering we were able to build this new japan this new world this new history but we can't forget what this was built on why this was built yeah right these are the ghosts of our past and all of those mm-hmm. who passed away children women men those who fought and those who didn't it's all here because of that and we can't forget that like it's great that we're moving on and building a, a new bigger better city yeah. but we have to also remember that our ancestors are always watching us yep that's pretty much the idea for sure in that in that final bit and um i don't think it's a I don't think it's a super nationalistic movie. It's a little nationalistic, mm-hmm. right? It's very anti-American. It's probably the most anti-American Ghibli movie. Just straight probably. up. like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like literally the villains are the Americans in the movie. Like, yeah. Because it's just, it's an historical, you know, fiction. <laughs> it's a historical. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I don't know. I didn't think it was too, some people might think like, oh, you know, because, you know, Japan was like a, you know, fascist state at the time. And, you know, they, you know, uh, but, you know, it does what it should do where it focuses in on two kids and that's it pretty much. You know, it doesn't uh, concern itself. It's just mo- completely concerned with the people, children, who I would say 
obviously our innocent children um, and what how it affected them, how the war, how the bombings affected them. It zooms in on that relationship, which is really what a movie like this should do. Absolutely. It makes the micro macro. And I think it's important to also note, while the Americans are certainly a villain in this, there are plenty of adults and i would argue most of the adults in this film aren't yeah, doing adults much are of evil, a better yeah. job <laughs> well i wouldn't say they're i wouldn't say the japanese adults in the movie are evil they're just i don't know they just i guess they've all just kind of forgotten what's important right mm-hmm. absolutely um, yeah <clears throat> well andrew final thoughts yeah that's fine yeah yeah it's uh yeah um you know it definitely i think it stays true to its reputation you know as a very very um powerful impactful war movie um it's just a good historical fiction like i said that you know that the relationship between the two siblings is a great story um i think they're both very well written kids um and the movie does what it should do where it's frustrating it's um violent but in a realistic way it's not really like pessimistic or optimistic it's more just kind of like, this is just it, you know, like, this is how it was um, for the most part. And, you know, in terms of the art, you know, just the animation aspect, the art aspect, the look of the movie, I mean, I don't know if I would change anything about that in that regard. You know, destroyed villages look amazing, but not destroyed villages also look really great. <laughs> you know, this is just like a really solid piece of, you know, Japanese historical fiction. And uh, it's definitely high tier Ghibli for sure. Um, so I'm going to give it a very, very strong, very high eight out of 10. Yeah. A very powerful film and it's animation and it's sound design and the score and the story and the plot. I'm blown away by every second of it. And looking back on it, I'm even more touched by all of these powerful moments in a rather short film, it just feels like everything's the way it's supposed to be. And it never feels melodramatic, which I think is something that can happen far too often in these war-type films. Right. Often it can feel as if the writer or director or filmmaker is pulling on heartstrings merely to pull on heartstrings just to get an effect out of people. And I don't think this does that at any moment. Every painful moment in this film feels very authentic, very real. And it's certainly not an easy movie to watch. Very challenging film, but I think in the best of ways. So I'm going to give this movie a 9 out of 10. Very well. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can find everything I do at AustinLego12. You can find me on Letterboxd. Sorry, wait one second. I forgot my my letterbox name just now. The hell is wrong with me? What do you mean you forgot? You say it's the same thing every time. I know. I don't understand. <laughs> Sorry. Let me start over. You can find me at Letterboxd at RetroAndrew, R-E-T-R-0, Andrew. And you can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Theater42 or With Nothing to Say. And thank you all for listening. Thank you again.